This morning we'll be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Today we're going to talk about the fact that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And what is freedom anyway? Have you ever thought much about what freedom is? We talk about freedom a lot in this country. We say we are a free country. We are a free people. But what does it mean to be a free country or to be a free people? Because according to the Apostle Paul here, every single Christian on the face of the earth has been set free by Christ, even when they live under oppressive regimes. Christ has liberated us to be free. And freedom might mean that we have the power to act, speak, or think without hindrance or restraint. Or maybe it means that we're not imprisoned or enslaved. Or maybe it is that we are not subject to governmental domination. What does it mean to be free? We talk a lot about the fact that we live in a free country, as I said earlier, but I want you to know that the United States of America did not grant you your freedom. In fact, if you'll read the founding documents, it says that every person is endowed by their creator certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, the United States of America does not set you free. It recognizes the liberty that God has given you. That is the purpose of government, not to set you free, but to recognize the freedoms that we have. That is why when a government acts wickedly and evilly and oppresses a people and takes away the rights which God's has, God has given them, it means that they are not acting as the government should. But freedom doesn't come from our country, it doesn't come from our president, it doesn't come from our constitution. The freedom is granted to us by Almighty God himself. And the truest and really only freedom comes from the liberation that Christ gives us through the cross and his resurrection has set us free in every way. So today, as we study this passage, we're going to discover what it means to be free. Let's read in verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you a little leaven. Leaven is a whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord that you will not accept any other view. But whatever it is I hear is confusing you, they will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are disturbing you might also themselves be mutilated. Yes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I pray this morning that you will help us be a free people. A people who are free from sin. A people who are free from bondage. A people who are free from fear. A people who live and walk in the joy of the Spirit. And who every day are being made more like Jesus. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.
Paul teaches us here that we have been freed from the yoke of slavery. Now, I want you to notice that when he says we have been set free by Christ there in verse 1, he says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, meaning at one time you were slaves. Don't submit again to slavery. So the first thing you need to know is that if you're in Christ, you've been set free from slavery, and at one time you were a slave. What does that mean? What were you enslaved to? How were you enslaved? How are we enslaved? And there are actually several things that ensnare us and make us slaves before and after we're saved in Christ. And these are the things that Christ set us free from. Sometimes we become ensnared again. In John 8, 34, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So there's one thing that we're enslaved to, and that's sin. Broadly speaking, we get enslaved to sin. We need to talk about broad things before we can get to the narrow. Once in your life, you had no means by which to resist sin. In fact, you loved it. Sin dominated your life and heart. Everything that you did was sin. Nothing you did pleased God. Because apart from faith, nothing pleases God. Even your best work that you could hold up was shot through with sin because it was done out of selfishness and pride and fear of man. We were in bondage, and sinning was our way of life. John 8.36 says this, though, if the Son sets you free, you will be free, indeed, free from sin. Free from yourself, free from your selfishness that enslaved you. Sin was not some just outside force that came in and made you capitulate to its whims. The sin lived in you and was you. Everything you did come from your own heart. We had no will and no way to resist it. But Jesus has come to set us free. What are the sins that enslaved you then? What are the sins that can enslave you now that we need to be free from? Because I am guessing that these Galatians that Paul loved in his writing to, that they were in Christ, and yet this circumcision heresy had made them worry, and they were losing their way. Paul is talking to them, begging them, do not leave Christ for the yoke of slavery. And if they could do it, you can do it. Every single one of us can become Galatians if we are not ready and aware of how easy it is to be ensnared by our own waywardness. What are the sins that enslave us? One of the primary sins that enslaves us is the fear of man. The fear of man is a snare. The fear of what people will think about us, how they might talk, how they might react if we live as Christ has called us to live. That's a snare. It ensnares us completely when we are not in Christ. It can ensnare us again after we've become in Christ. What do people think about me? Being primary over what does God think? I'm not saying that we get to go out and be rude, that we get to be jerks, that we don't care what people think. That's not what I'm saying. We should care about our witness. We should care about our testimony. We should care about our good name. But we only care about that after we care about what God thinks. Because sometimes what God thinks is going to push the world and make them not want to be our friend, make them hate us and spurn us and dislike us and come at us. And if you are afraid of that, you're ensnared and enslaved by it. You can't be what you want. You can't be who you are because your pride, that's pride at the root of the fear of man, by the way. It's weird, isn't it? You don't want people to think less of you because you want to be thought of well. And because we want to be thought of well, we're ensnared. 
fear of man enslaved us. What do people think of me? Pride, covetousness, I want, I want. We live in a throwaway culture. Everything's throwaway. We can throw away everything. We buy a TV. We don't fix it. We throw it out and get another. We don't want a baby. We throw it out. And we just wait till we want one. We throw away everything. We consume, we consume, we consume. We are a culture eaten up with covetousness. And you know what you'll find whenever you get the thing that you covet is it won't satisfy you. In fact, it's a snare and it will enslave you. Great godliness is found in complete helplessness. Covetousness, selfishness. We're slaves to these things and they creep up on us. That's why Hebrews says the sin is so easily entangled us. Keeps us numb because we start worrying. What will people think? What will happen? What will... What will people, how will people react if we do the things which God's called us to do if we say this is sin? And we can have no fellowship with it, for there is no fellowship with the light, with God. How will people react? Particularly here, Paul is worried about the sin of self-righteousness. This is all those things I talked about mixed up in one lump, self-righteousness. It is a pernicious sin. Through the law works we seek to establish our own righteousness apart from christ by doing good that's sin and slavery paul is saying it like this look if you start trying to build your own righteousness on circumcision you've lost jesus you can either have your own righteousness or you can have his but you cannot have both So listen to me closely about this. If you think that you're a good person, you've lost the gospel. We need to cut that those legs right out from under our pride right away. We are not good in ourselves. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You will bear no fruit. You'll be no good for nothing except to be chopped off and put in the fire. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We are not good people apart from Christ. Not. You will never make your way to God apart from Jesus. Jesus came to save us from ourselves and from our sins. Why is it that we are so easily ensnared by being good? Maybe we think that after this is after we come to Christ we do this. Why do we do it? Maybe we think that God couldn't possibly love a sinner like me, and so I've got to kind of work my way up to God. I'm not as good as him. There's the fear of man coming in again. I'm not as good as this person. I need to work and be good like them, and then God will bless me like he has them. That is, forgetting all the blessings that you have, that you're another person, got your own way. I love it at the end of John's gospel. After God has restored Peter, he tells him he's going to be crucified. Basically, he says, one day you're going to go where they don't want, you don't want to go, and they're going to put you where you don't want to be. And you know what Peter says? He looks at John, and he says, What's going to happen to him? <laughs> That's what we do. What about him? The blessings, the things that... You know what Jesus said when Peter said that? He said, what does it matter to you if he lives until I come back? You do what I tell you. The yoke of slavery. What about I could be doing what they do? I could be like them. If only I could work a little harder. This is how it... Get in. Maybe I might go up in the ranks of heaven. Right now, maybe I'm just like a, I'm just like a lowly foot soldier in heaven. But 
one day, if I keep working hard, maybe God will let me sit at his right hand, like James and John asked. And I'll be awesome in heaven. Everybody will be impressed by me. Silly dog. Selfishness, desire, and covetousness. Dissatisfaction with what God has given us. Evil. Jesus came to set you free from that yoke of slavery to quit worrying about who you're going to be in heaven and how hard you can work and whether or not you've been good enough. He came to say, you are enough. I love you. You're coming to heaven with me, and I have a special life set aside just for you that nobody else will live. That's why when you get to heaven, you get a rock that your name won't no one else knows because it's your own adventure in life. Every one of us. There's an old Jewish proverb that says, I just got to be myself because if I don't, who else will be? <laughs> Maybe later you think about that and think, well, that's pretty nice. Freedom from the yoke of slavery is what Christ set us free from. And freedom from the yoke of slavery means freedom to the hope of righteousness. I love this. I want you to think about the hope of righteousness. What does that mean? It's one of those things where you're reading through your Bible in a year and you read uh, hope of righteousness and you just keep right on rolling. What does that mean, hope of righteousness? I thought thought we were righteous. It's a strange thing to say that we are set free to hope for righteousness. Not to work for it, but to hope for it. What does that mean? That's what Paul wants us to understand, that we are set free to the hope of righteousness. We ought to think about it. Is righteousness not ours yet? Is it something that we should still hope for? Well, yes. We're not righteous yet, indeed. We're righteous by declaration. Righteousness has been imputed to us. We are simultaneously righteous and unrighteous. We still sin, don't we? And if we still sin, that means we've not been made completely righteous, indeed. But in declaration, we are. Because it's really the case in our lives. So... Christ has given us his righteousness. God views us as a righteous people for our righteousness is imputed to us by Jesus. But yet in our daily life, we see that we don't live out what God has declared us to be. So there's a gap. There's a gap between what God has declared me to be and who I am. And how you think you can fill that gap makes all the difference in the world. How do you get from declared righteous to Righteous indeed in the truth. How are you going to fill that gap up that you see? How will you get there? You know what the Galatians said? Those heretics who came in? Here's how you fill the gap. Get yourself circumcised for God's sake. Read the Old Testament. The children of Israel were circumcised. You should be circumcised. Keep the law of Moses. What's wrong with you? You shouldn't kill. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't covet. Do you not love the law of God? God said, don't trim your beard. Why are you trimming your beard? Don't eat shellfish. Don't eat catfish. Don't eat camels. That might be an easy one for you. Trying to help you here. You can eat carp, but you can't have catfish. That's harder. Sounds persuasive. I do see that I'm not righteous. God's declared me to be righteous, but I want to get there, so I'll obey the law. And Paul says, you do that, and you're out of Christ. That is not the way to fill the gap. How do you fill it then? I'll tell you the right way to fill it. It's what he says here. 
faith working through love. That's how you fill the gap. That's the hose of righteousness. Can't fill the gap by works. How do you close the gap? Here's how you do it. I believe God will make me like him. That's how you fill the gap. That doesn't sound like I'm doing much, does it? Come outside, Abraham, and look at these stars. Count them if you can. That's how your descendants are going to be. I'm going to give you this land. Look as far as you can see. The edge of the Nile River, all the way up to the borders of the cedars of Lebanon. This will be yours and your children forever. The man didn't have a child. He was 75 years old. He said, I believe it, and God counted it as righteousness. And that's our pattern. Abraham walked around in a land that wasn't his on the hope of God's promise, and he never saw anything but a tomb. He didn't have the assurance. God delivered on his promise, not because Abraham worked for it. When he tried, remember we talked about this last week, he tried to make it happen with Hagar, and God said no. Because our salvation lies in the hope of righteousness and the hope of a promise fulfilled, not on the works that we do. Here's how we get righteous. I believe God will make me righteous because he said he would. And now you're on your way to closing that gap. I can't get better on my own, God. You must make me better. That's how we get better. No works of the law. Look, he says here, in Christ, circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What? The whole... Book, he's argued, don't get circumcised or else you've fallen from grace. And now he's saying it don't matter if you're circumcised or not. If you're not walking by faith, both of them are meaningless. You can't boast in your uncircumcision. You can't boast in your circumcision. The only thing you can boast in is the Lord and the hope of a promise fulfilled. You cannot get better on your own. You say, God, you showed me, you changed me, you helped me. Every time I try, I find that evil's right there with me. Who will save me from the body of this death? Praise God from Jesus Christ our Lord. Whoever leads us in triumphant entry, taking us right on into heaven himself, not through our works, but through his. I've told you this story before. Righteousness by faith is not a work. God is doing it through us, for us, as we love him. Faith working through love. We love him. He's changing us. Child says to his father, though, this will be a good one. Daddy, you, you got this child, and they're putting together a case. Use this for your righteousness and justification. You're trying to be like Jesus. It's a puzzle you can't put together because you're all broken inside. You're messed up. Child struggles, says, Daddy, will you help me with this puzzle? Now, this is a room full of good people. Child asks you to help me with the puzzle. You get down on the floor. You help him. You help him. Of course I will. You sit down and say, now, this one goes in. This one goes out. You got to turn it. You got to turn it. That's right. Why don't you start with a corner? You start with a corner. Makes it easier to see the whole picture. You change it to corners. And struggling with teeth, you say, well, what about over there? What about over there? You tell them what to do. And then they finish, finally, the puzzle. They get it together. And the child looks at you and says, Daddy, I did it. And you know what you say? Yes, you did. Yes, you did do it. Even though, without you, it would never have happened. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you do nothing. 
You cannot put together the puzzle of saving yourself. You don't even know how messed up you are. You don't know where you're messed up. You won't figure it out yourself. Why do you think the psalmist prays, search me and try me, O God, and see if there is any unclean thing in me? Because we don't know. We don't know until the Lord shows us. That's how faith and love work towards righteousness, not a return to the enslavement of the law where you will never know if you're doing right or wrong. You don't even know what the picture looks like, how you're going to put together the puzzle. It's all broken up. It's too tough. You can't do it. You will never do it until your heavenly Father gets down on the floor and says, why don't you get that piece of puzzle and that's what we're really after. And here's what you're getting to. Be like my son. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love me with all your heart. But daughter, you're going to be okay. You're going to get there. You're going to get there. That's faith. And that's the way to righteousness. The wrong way is to try to close that gap by your works apart from the work of the Spirit in your life. You will never close that gap. Do not return to the yoke of slavery. Do not be enslaved to the yoke. And freedom from the yoke of slavery, freedom to the hope of righteousness. Like I said, we're not there yet. Paul says, not that I have arrived, but forgetting that which lies behind, I'm reaching forward to lay hold of the thing for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Not that I've been perfected yet. Paul was holding out hope for righteousness. You need to hold out the hope for righteousness too. It's coming. I believe it. One day, the Lord is going to make me righteous. I may die before I see the true promised land. I'll see it when I die. But on the day that Christ returns and he blows his trumpet like the archangel himself, it's the trumpet of God dead in Christ will rise and Mr. Body right here is going to be transformed he'll be an old rotten body I don't know what's going to happen to him we'll be changed in an instant in a moment we'll be made righteous we'll be made what God has declared us to be and we'll not be able to work Look, what do dead people do to get righteous what happens in the moment when Jesus comes back and splits the sky open all of a sudden does everybody get figured out is that what happens oh I realized all this stuff was sin. I'm done with it now. God's going to change. That's what's going to happen. That's how the gap's closed, by faith and the hope of righteousness. You know how you purify yourself according to 1 John? The hope of his appearing. That's how we get righteous. Believing he's going to come back. He's going to change me. He's going to do all that he said he would do for me. Everything in, every promise in the Bible is yes and amen. Freedom from the yoke of slavery, freedom to hoping for righteousness, and freedom to embrace the offense to Christ. Let's end with this. He says here, brothers and sisters, verse 11, if I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the gospel is abolished. Well, what's that? What's the offense of the cross? Paul had some terrible things to say about those who would not embrace the, 
cross. He says he wished they would mutilate themselves. You can go do a word study on mutilated yourself later. You can just Google it. It is not pleasant. I would never say that, but Paul said it. He doesn't like it when people are offended at the offense of the cross. What is the offense of the cross? The offense of the cross is what I told you earlier. You're not good. You're not going to make it. Not by yourself. You'll never impress God. You've never done a single thing in your entire life that made God go, wow, that guy's awesome in your sight. Never. God loves you because he loves you. You're not going to impress him. Your works are no good. Your inner self is not the thing that needs to be expressed. These are offensive things. You don't get to decide who you are. God has said who you are. The truth of who you are is not on the inside. It's on the outside. It's God who tells us. Fortunately, he puts the Holy Spirit in our heart to conform us to what he says we are. It's not some voyage of self-discovery that we find by deep introspection and thinking about it. The voyage of self-discovery comes by reading God's word and conforming to the image of Jesus who loved the least of these, who was friends with the poor and the outcast, the hooker, they say in Sunday church. Tax collectors and sinners, the lepers, the outcasts, the scum and dregs of the earth. That's who we are. Let he who thinks highly of himself think less. Let the lowly think better of themselves, for Christ has brought down the high to be low, and he brings the low up to be high, for he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted this is the kingdom of God the offense of the cross is you're not gonna do it never and that without Jesus you are doomed if you will not embrace Jesus you will spend an eternity apart from God and God will give you all of your selfish wicked ways you will continually and forever be lost in fear and anger and heartbreak the offense of the cross is that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to God except through him. And even those who come through him have to stay in him or they're going nowhere. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved except through Jesus. That's the offense of the cross. And Paul says here, hey, if I started telling these guys, it's fine, it's fine. You do need to be circumcised. We need to keep the law of Moses. They would stop persecuting because we all love to build our own righteousness apart from we don't want to owe anyone anything. That's the offense of the cross. You live like the world and agree with the world, you're going to have an easy time in the world. You're going to have a hard time with God. The world will love you. And Paul says here, you do that, you're severed from Christ, and you're fallen from grace. We must love the world. Love it in the sense that we believe it's redeemable. That anybody who believes in Jesus will be saved. We love that. But when they come and say, look, the things that the apostles spoke and the things written in the word of God are not true, we say, no, we can't go there with that because that was wrong love. They weren't loving for us not to tell you the truth. The hope of our righteousness is built by faith, not by embracing our sin. God's sake, no. 
what are you enslaved by? You know, if you are enslaved to the fear of man, to the fear of these things, to thinking that you've got to make yourself better apart from Christ, you're following all the rules. There's a checklist. We love to do this. We're following the rules, and so we're getting better. But we don't ever really know if we're getting better. We don't know if God's pleased with us. We we think so. I mean, after all, the pastor said, you know, do the quiet time, read through the Bible in a year. I'm doing all that stuff, and I missed a few days, and I missed a couple days last week, and I'm supposed to be on week 24. I'm on week 22, and I don't even want to read First Chronicles anymore. But I'm soldiering through, and I hope God's pleased. But you never will know. Everything you do will be like that. But you know what will break like a dawn in your heart, like dispelling darkness, is realizing this. The hope of my righteousness lies not in my quiet time, or my ability to keep myself sexually pure, or the fact of whether or not I've ever failed, or whether I read through my Bible in a year is this. Our God loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a new dawn and a new day. Come, let us reason together, Lord, for as though your sins be as scarlet, I shall make them as white as snow, not by works, lest any man should boast, but by faith in Jesus Christ. All sorts of sins being made righteous by faith. That's offensive, isn't it? Does it make you mad that people who are sinning and keep sinning are made well by Jesus? Oh, God forbid. God forbid. If anyone is more in the spirit, they cannot continue in sin, but we do not mean by that that they don't sin. For if we sin, we have a advocate who is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. Sorry, it's enough. Lord, I am messed up. I try to make myself happy on my own apart from you. I try to make myself look righteous. I try to make myself look good. I try to please myself with the things of the world, and now I'm miserable. And you're saying, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Lord, I'm going to sin again. I know. <laughs> he loves you. It's Father's Day. You got a Father in heaven who loves you so much he gave his only son that you might be saved and keep doing it. You know, when you get to heaven, the Father's still going to give you the chance. He didn't just give them to us for one time. He says he'll give us the morning star and all his glory. We're like Song of Solomon. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. The banner over us is love forever. The Father loves you so much, he's given you Jesus to fellowship forever and ever and ever. And nothing on heaven, nothing on earth, no demons, no devils, no sin, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God that is yours in Jesus Christ. Never. That's the hope of righteousness. saying that sin doesn't matter? No. Sin matters. We don't want to grieve the Spirit. We know that we're going to sin, though, and we have a hope one day that righteousness is going to get rid of all that. And the law can remind us that we are sinful, but by keeping it, we're not going to be made righteous because we couldn't keep it. It's only by grace through faith. So this morning, let me ask you, believer, Here's old Paul, Silas, and the Roman Jew. 
You heard that story? They've been whooped. That's southern for beat. They've been beaten. They've been shackled. They've been put in the most interior part of the prison, and they start singing songs. Huh? God sends an earthquake. And all their shackles fall off. But you know what? God didn't send the earthquake to let Paul and Silas get out. He sent the earthquake so the jailer could get in. You think about that. The jailer's fixing to kill himself because he thinks everyone's escaped. And Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Why didn't they leave? There's something to do. The jailer comes in. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, here's the key. What must I do to be saved? What great thing must I do to be saved? He's probably thinking, give away all my stuff, help you guys get out of here. What we got to do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. You read the whole thing. You believe that? You believe that's all there is to it? Because that's all there is to it. Because when you believe and you see the beauty of God in Christ, you'll be changed. What must I do to be saved? Ask yourself that question. Just love Jesus and be saved. And all the other stuff that will follow, repentance, change, love, you'll realize it was amazing grace to save the wretch like me. Continues to save me forever and ever. Let's go to the